0: This is Top's Talk. In this episode, we break down the Doctor Who product set to hit the shelves on November 25th. And I talk with Impractical Joker James Murray about his career and appearance in Allen and Ginter Baseball. This is episode 10. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Top's Talk, Episode 10, and we thank you for listening in from whenever and wherever you are. I'm your host, Alex Bursch. We have a great show for you this week, which includes my interview with impractical joker James Murray. But before we get to Murr, I have here brand manager Mark Von Olin, who is very excited about a product that is just about to hit the stores. And that is the Doctor Who trading card set, which will be available for purchase on November 25th, which is tomorrow for all you punctual podcast listeners. This is a big-time product that many people are anticipating with open arms, and that list of people
1: shamelessly includes me, and of course you, Mark. Yeah, I'm a huge Whovian myself, and I think when you had me on last time, I kind of went on and on about how much I love Star Wars. I'm pretty lucky because I get to work on two of my favorite properties, Star Wars and Doctor Who. Um, This is a long time coming. Uh, We're very excited to finally have this product out in market. Uh, It'll be out on Wednesday, November 25th um, in your local hobby shops and at Barnes & Noble.
0: And explain to the consumers what they can be looking for in this Doctor Who set.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a very comprehensive product. Um, as you're aware, and I think most if, – if you guys know, Doctor Who has been around forever. Um, it's actually going to be celebrating 52 years uh, uh, pretty soon, I think next week. Uh, so we've got a very comprehensive product that covers the entire uh, saga of Doctor Who. Um, So there are 200 base cards, 135 of them, sorry, 165 of them are character cards that span the entire duration of the series, all the way from the first episode in the 60s through what's airing now currently on BBC, as well as 35 storyline cards, and that covers all of the different seasons that have happened um, up until uh, series eight, um, which was just last season. So it's super comprehensive.
0: One of the real draws of Doctor Who is that many generations of fans could really get behind this type of a product because like you said of the long amount of time that this show has been on the air for and one of the details of the show itself for those who are not Whovians, such as yourself and to a degree myself as well I I am not fully caught up to all episodes but I've certainly watched my fair share. There's a lot. It's it, yeah. Yes. It would take
1: a lot to watch the entire series. Yes, I'd ha- <laughs>
0: I'd have to probably maybe go on like a sabbatical from work and then try to just, you know, pound them all out. But for those who don't know really anything about this product or about this show, explain the the plot behind who Doctor Who is and why there might be different Doctor Who's to look for in this product.
1: Yeah, um so here's the, the Doctor Who 101. Um, the Doctor, as he is known, his, his real name has never been revealed. He's referred to as the Doctor. He's a time traveler uh, from the planet of Gallifrey, and he's uh, first introduced to us um, in, in the very first episode as someone who lives on Earth. He's sort of an older man, um, and he essentially uh, kidnaps his granddaughter's uh, teachers and takes them back in time. Um, and that's the first adventure that we get with the very first Doctor, William Hartnell, um, and then from there, um, the series continues for so many years that they have to replace the lead actor. Uh, but the BBC, in their very smart writing, determines that the doctor um, can regenerate. So if the doctor dies from whatever happens to him, and there's numerous ways in which um, the doctor dies. You know, in one case, he actually gets shot. Like, I mean, sometimes it's very real uh, versus something magical. Um, he can regenerate into another form. So uh, he's a time lord, so he can travel through space and time, and he can have multiple regenerations which is how we end up with multiple actors portraying the Doctor. So right now we're on Doctor number 12 um, with Peter Capaldi. Um, our set uh, covers all 12 of these Doctors, all of their crazy adventures across space and time, and actually gives you a good indication, too, as to what makes each Doctor unique. Um, we actually knew that there'd be a lot of fans coming in for the first time and really wanted to give the explanation as to, you know, what this property is all about, who the Doctors are. Um, So we've included an insert set called Who is the Doctor? And there are 12 cards, and each one gives you a little profile onto uh, what makes each Doctor unique. Some are more serious. Some are funnier. Some are quirkier. They each look different, um, and they each have their own style. They each have their own types of gadgets and tools and weapons. Um, And honestly, I think all the fans have their favorites as well. Um, I will not on this show tell you who my favorite is. Um, but and
0: I will not do the <laughs> same because you know that mine could be, could be controversial.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we've had this conversation before. <laughs> yes, we have. Um, but I, I will tell you that my favorite doctors are the ones who are signing autographs for us. So, um, there you go. So we are very excited about that. We actually have five doctors signing autographs Great for segue. us. Great segue. Yeah. Was I'm, a, I'm, that so, was a, I'm so that was proud a, of the a set a in nailing general. Nailing of a segue. Right. It, 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 it couldn't <laughs> be better. Um, I'm so proud of the set in general, but really, really excited that we have five doctors being included signing autographs. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and why don't you go through who they are?
1: Yeah, so the autograph set, uh, we've included 31 signers, and as I mentioned, we have five different doctors signing. Uh, The first is David Tennant, the 10th doctor. Um, We've got Peter Davison, the 5th doctor, Colin Baker, the 6th doctor, Paul McGann, the 8th doctor, and what I think is our really big get in the doctor space Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, the oldest living doctor. So, wow. we're very excited. Yeah, exactly. Wow. We're very excited to have Tom in the set. And in fact, all of them. I mean, they're all fantastic guys. And I think from that list, uh, those are many people's favorites. Um,
0: for sure. And I mean, Tennant is a person who really is kind of the doctor for this generation.
1: I mean, so many people identify him. As their doctor. Yeah, he's definitely my doctor, for sure. Um I can show you my uh cosplay light version of the tenth doctor with the brown suit and everything. Um in <laughs> fact I got to go to Rhode Island Comic Con very recently and then Long Island Who, and it looks like the Tenth Doctor is winning the cosplay contest. Like that's everyone's go to. If you're if you're like a skinny guy at all, like you could just look like him and just spike your hair a little <laughs> bit, you're done. Um we've also got some spectacular uh companions signing for the set. Um, really excited about um, the people that we brought in on the companion side. Um, Alex Kingston playing River Song, who I think is um, probably the most important companion, along with like Sarah Jane. Uh, uh, we've got Freema Ajenburg as Martha Jones, John Barrowman as Captain Jack, which is awesome. Um, we've got a couple Torchwood people with him, Eve Miles and Gareth David Lloyd. We've got Noel Clark. We've got numerous uh, classic companions like Fraser Hines, Mark Strickson, Sophie Aldred. Deborah Watling, Louise Jameson, Bonnie Langford, um, and I should mention too, we were able to get Billy Piper to sign for us, which year over year, she constantly wins the favorite companion polls that are always being put out. So we're very, very excited to have Billy Piper signing along with all the other companions. And then in um, a very big get that I think uh, the very first companion uh, Susan Foreman herself, Carol Ann Ford, um, is signing autographs for this set as well.
0: That is sensational.
1: I can't believe it. She's from the first episode, so we really have we really are covering the entire duration of the show. If you notice that of all uh, the people that I listed, we have companions that um, almost make up every Doctor. Um, we're missing Doctor Number Two, but we are going to chase down. Um, those people for 2016. We already have people who are confirming for 2016 um, now that this product is getting ready to go out the door. Um, they find out their friends are signing and they want in too, which is very exciting.
0: <laughs> and it really is actually fascinating to me that Billy Piper is kind of the, the, the number one companion, um, mainly because, I mean, it, it seemed that her
1: original doctor yeah was gone after after only one season and she was really only in two seasons yeah. you know she's got the season with Eccleston who um i think Eccleston gets a bad rap sometimes you know he's only in for one season he's not terribly engaged in the fan community he didn't come back for the 50th you know but um people i think then because of that overlook his actual contribution to the show i think he was very much the doctor we needed at the time he was very serious Um, In order to bring Doctor Who back in 2005, I don't think it could have gone straight to being like as quirky and weird as uh, where David Tennant took it or especially where Matt Smith took it. I would say Matt Smith took it into a zany place, which I really loved, um, but I don't think he would have worked as like the returning doctor. Um, I still sort of stand by my comment, though, that he's kind of too sexy to be the doctor. Like, he's very much <laughs> like – he's like your, you know, sort of um, typical, like, hunk of a guy. And I don't think that that's usually what the doctor looks like. He's usually not a man of action. Um, John Pertwee probably withstanding. But – uh I think Eccleston was great and did everything we needed for the show. They reintroduced the show in a very smart way um, and I think Billy being a part of that, she was kind of the perfect companion. She was very bright-eyed or wide-eyed. She very much wanted to like explore and learn new things and you as the viewer attached to her and you also sort of fall in love with him the way she does so the way that billy piper falls in love with the doctor the viewer themselves falls in love with the show so there's like a great parallel story happening there and i think that 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 series one is a little bit overlooked sometimes because it's one season kind of on its own um but without it the rest of the series wouldn't be going
0: I I agree
1: wholeheartedly, and you know that I do. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. He's your favorite, um, isn't he? Ah, yes. (laughs) I'll go on record that and say that David Tennant is mine. But uh, but that's,
0: that's, you know, that's that's fairly normal. It's just, you know, Eccleston to me, like he just, I mean, that is when I discovered Doctor Who. I mean, Mm -hmm. that he was the face of that, and I know that that face was taken away after only, you know, a handful of episodes, but. I mean a, hand, a handful in the grand scheme of right. Doctor Who, but I mean he's his just demeanor was just was just wonderful, and I mean every now and then like I'll just like say to myself like fantastic, and like that's <laughs> a, I know that the, in his voice like he's saying that, and uh, and I just I don't know it it really was it means some, it's the same reason why I, I'm a Mets fan and I idolized like my favorite player of all time. It was Robin Ventura, and Robin Ventura only played for the Mets for like a few seasons, Mm -hmm. and he, you know, had one brilliant year for the Mets, and then he had two, uh, all right, years for them compared. But that first season was like that's when I fell in love with like baseball, and with and Robin was like the guy that I idolized, and I wanted to play third base as well. And so it's just it's interesting to see how. You know, people and and figures, no matter how long they're on a certain scene for in your life, they will have that type of impact on you. Oh, without a doubt. And that's something that Doctor Who does brilliantly throughout such a long period of time, and it throws so many figures in front of you. Um, And so I'll use that segue to get into another part of this, uh, another part of this set, which I know you want to talk about, which is just how. This set explains Doctor Who, some of the Mm storylines of Doctor
1: Who. Yeah, I like what you said about how the show has lasting power and really leaves an impression on people. Because I think geek culture in general is at such a great golden age right now with the Marvel movies and, you know, Star Wars is coming back. Thank God. I I can't wait. I'm so excited. Um, but Doctor Who has been there forever. There's, I mean, there's a break in there, right? From 89 to 96, there wasn't any Doctor Who happening. And then from 96 to oh five, there wasn't any Doctor Who happening. Uh, but those breaks withstanding, uh, the show has been really important in the culture, uh, not just for Britain, but for geeks. And I think now mainstream America is really picking up on it. And the fact that we have a trading card product finally coming out, uh, finally, um, I think speaks to the fact that there's a really large audience out there. Um, and we, we were... Really excited about the, the demand for this product and, and the excitement around it. And every day when I'm on Twitter announcing a new autograph signer, people kind of lose their minds, which is awesome. Um, And yes, we wanted to make sure that the product we put out was spectacular and had really great hits, but also helped people get up to speed on the show. So one of the things we put in there, along with all the character cards, were storyline cards that basically summarized every individual season. So if you've never seen the show, and believe me, there's no excuse now, go on your Netflix or Hulu account. Um, All of the modern series are current except for Series 9, which is airing on BBC right now. And then all of the classic episodes are out there except for those very few that have been lost forever. There's actually a few few seasons, um, or I should say a few episodes, uh, I want to say from seasons one or two that have been deleted, like they just got lost and no one has them, so they're they're missing. Um, But outside of those, that few, that little bit of content, uh, the entire series is available to watch for free if you have Hulu or Netflix. And I highly recommend, if you want to learn about the Doctors, they even have summary shows that they were doing in celebration of the 50th anniversary um, a couple years ago that will explain to you who each Doctor is and who their companions are and what their quirks were. And we tried to do that same type of thing within the set where we really got um, you up to speed on who everyone was and gave you a little bit of something extra um, for the super fans out there. So Mark, let's finish up this conversation by kind of rounding out the, the hits that you want to
0: explain Uh, more about because i know that you you talked about some autograph signers but there are many more hits available in this product than just the you know
1: straight up autos uh we've got some dual and triple autos that i'm super excited about We've got these fantastic TARDIS patch cards, um, and there are 30 of those in total that feature all 12 of the Doctors and then 18 of um, the – we're calling them fan-favorite companions. We sort of went through the list, and we specifically chose to highlight the women that were involved with the Doctors. So um, it's the 18 fan-favorite female companions um, since we've got 12 men represented by the Doctor. I want to create a little bit of balance there. Um, on the 30 patch cards. And then we also have 15 signed TARDIS patch cards that are going in at a very limited quantity. They're only making five of those each. So those will be a super rare chase item. Um, And it's got a little uh, patch that looks like the TARDIS um, and then the actor's autograph, so I can tell you who's signing for that as well. Um, And then on top of that, we've got costume pieces, which we're very, very excited about. Uh, We were able to get from the BBC... Actual costumes Worn by the actors On the show So we've got Four different pieces Going in uh, The first being uh, David Tennant's um, Brown trousers With the blue stripes The 10th Doctor's pants They're going Into the product I should say trousers If you're British That means underwear um, So the, the the 10th Doctor's Trousers uh, Going into the product uh, We also have Rory Williams um, You know him Arthur Darville um, Rory, Williams, Rory Williams Green striped uh, Polo shirt um, Which I definitely Did not try on in my office um and it, you know it's there so that, that one looks fantastic that's very <laughs> suspicious of you to even say that <laughs> um, it didn't fit so um what else uh so we've got the oud alien costume going in as you know they they sort of wear all gray um so their their costume is, is oddly um multi up close and personal there's a lot of shades of gray in the costume so we're, we're really excited about the way that looks And then um, what I think is my favorite piece in the set, and you think it would be the doctor's pants, um, but it is Sally Sparrow's coat. So if you guys remember the iconic episode Blink where Carrie Mulligan is the guest star, and she's basically the lead in that entire episode. It's the introduction of the Weeping Angels. And if you haven't seen the show, I will not give anything away, but it's an amazing time travel experience. You learn all about the angels. Carrie Mulligan has this incredible breakout role. I think year over year this episode is typically voted like the fan favorite of the entire series. And it's certainly in my top five. Um, I love Blink so much, and we were able to get the coat that Carrie Mulligan wore, I believe, in the opening, um, and it is being um, included as a costume piece. Um, so we've got lots of four different costumes for you guys to chase, which we're very excited about. And as an extra special bonus, because I already mentioned David Tennant is signing autographs for us, we are doing autograph pieces as well. So you can get a piece of his brown trousers with a David Tennant autograph, and those are very super limited. We're just doing five of those. We also have uh, 15 signed TARDIS patch cards going into the product. So, again, these are super limited. It's got the TARDIS patch card on there. It's got the actor autograph. And we've included um, a lot of our big-name doctor and companion signers. So David Tennant, Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Paul McGann, Colin Baker. Those are our five doctors. And then the companions, Noel Clark, Freema Agyeman, John Barrowman, Alex Kingston, Sophie Aldred, Louise Jameson, Deborah Watling, Bonnie Langford, Mark Strickson, and Billy Piper. So we're really pumped up about the TARDIS patch, the, the signed TARDIS patch cards. And again, very limited quantity. We're only doing five of each.
0: He is an impractical joker. And also for the biggest fans who know about it, a tenderloin, and that is James Murray. James, thank you very much for inviting me into your apartment. Thank you. Thanks for coming. It, I, I was hoping to have more house guests. Yeah, well, this is um, definitely the most uh, audible house guest you'll have. And <laughs> you also kind
2: of invited yourself. to be I honest. did. I did. I knocked a You specifically a few times. requested to come to my place, which I thought was a little
0: strange, but I went with it. It was a little weird, but I heard about your view, and you have an incredible view. Thank and you. And I mean, when I when I say an incredible view, I'm not I'm not really being nice to him. I, I, you get to see the entire lower part of Manhattan. You get to see Brooklyn. You can look out to Queens. I mean, you can see almost everything from up here. I like to be able to see Staten Island so I can keep
2: an eye on Sal and
0: Q. <laughs> and so why don't, why don't we go right into talking about you guys and how you guys met to become not the Impractical Jokers, but to become
2: the Tenderloins. Uh, we met in 1990, freshman year of high school, um, in Senior Farrell All Boys Catholic High School in Staten Island, uh, the Forgotten Borough. And uh, <laughs> you know, it was an old boys' school, so we, we, you know, we were we were just jerks. You know, we were best friends immediately. We did improv together in high school and loved it. And uh, and we just played jokes and pranks on each other because there was nothing else to do. You, you didn't want to learn social studies. Do you remember
0: one of the first jokes that you guys did to each other that really? Left an
2: imprint on your mind, or maybe somewhere else on your body. <laughs> uh, freshman year of high school, Joe used to nose uh, Miss Fiducia, <laughs> the religion teacher. Uh, so you know, on the on Joker's, he puts his nose. He has a rather large. Uh, a nose. Uh, so he would (laughs) drop it on people without them knowing. So Miss Fiducia would be walking up and down the aisles teaching about, uh, you know, the various testaments and he would drop his nose right on her arm or, or as she would walk by, she had no idea. And the class would be crying. We'd all be crying, (laughs) laughing, watching him. That was probably the first prank I remember. Nice. And so you, you talked about how
0: you guys did improvisational comedy. That is an incredible art that has a really vast history to it. And you guys, I would probably say, mastered this. And, but not, the, not improvisation that a lot of people in the United States got a taste of in whose line is it anyway. That is a very specific type of improvisation. And I know this because I went through all the courses at the Upright Citizens Brigade. And I, I am a huge lover of improv as well. And so you guys did what we at UCB did which was The Harold. Sure. Or The Armando, which is a monologue driven long form. Exactly. Right. And so go into that and and explain to those listening what The Harold and The Armando is and and how that really got you guys to where you are today.
2: Well, In high school, we did uh, what most uh, high school improv groups do, which is like short form games like you would see on Whose Line Is It Anyway or comedy sports or any of the clubs like that across the country. And uh, those are fun and great. Uh, Impossible to sell into a TV show because Whose Line It already does it so well, you know. Uh, And then after college, we formed the Tenderloins, and uh, I had learned long-form improv, which is what you're talking about, which is like scene work. It's like uh, you get a word of inspiration from the audience, and then from that word, you can just keep going and creating new scenes with crazy characters continuously for like a half hour. That's the... the the, the very, very basic explanation. Uh, the good thing about scene work is it, it, it's much harder to do, but there's a much bigger payoff than a quick one-line joke that you would get in a game. Uh, and there's a lot more you can learn about from it about how to be an actor a, a lot. You know, um, it's a, it's, they're both uh, hard art forms to learn and become good at, but uh, scene work, I think, is where you can build uh, a really strong foundation for being an actor from. So, uh, we switched over into doing uh, things like the Harold Armando, which are just two types of scene work, essentially, and uh, we did that live for many years. Um, and th- what that did for us was, it—I it, mean, Impractical Jokers is a stealth improv show, really. Uh, we are making everything up on the spot, um, but in the world of TV, it's extremely difficult to sell an improv show. Because networks you remember networks are driven by ad sales by commercial space, by who buy you know the uh, advertisers, so to not be able to say what the product is going to be where you have no guarantee you have no script that you can say, "Okay, I see this, this could be a problem let 's correct this let's let's you know to not have a script to not have any kind of um, guarantee is probably the best uh, word to describe uh, to, what i 'm saying to not have a guarantee of the product you 're going to get from a show is really risky for a network so it is really hard to sell an improv show in its pure form and whose line was whose line was able
0: to do that because they had very specific games like you said and so the 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 producers and whatnot kind of had an idea of really what was going to happen
2: even that when when that was greenlit I I don't know the story of of, uh, how they pitched it but that had to be very risky as well because you just don't know how good the performers are going to be and improv is flip of a coin you know whether it's going to work or not a scene um and the performers have to be great. If any one of them is you know, not as good, you, you pick it out immediately. Um, so we, we tried, and we tried selling improv a few times. Because my, my job outside of uh, Jokers is I, I uh, for many years, ran development for a TV company. So my job was to create and sell TV shows for a living. And I tried a few times to sell an improv show. And we, we did, we, we sold a, a, a format, uh, it was, you know an improv comedy show to A&E, um, uh, then I sold, uh, uh, the guys and I sold a, a sketch comedy show at a Spike based on our real lives. And then um, we came up with the Jokers, which is just another way to uh, do improv. But it seems like it's not improvised. It seems like, oh, it's a hidden camera show that's upside down. The joke's on them. It's, a, it's got all these extra layers simply to distract you from the fact that it is a stealth improv show. We tricked them. <laughs> the best practical joke was the creation of the show. I think so. The best practical joke is getting everyone to believe we're good at this. Exactly. I don't you know. it's it, it really That's is. impressive. Uh, somebody said, we did an interview the other day, and somebody said, uh, you've got the longest prank running in TV. It's called your career. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, um, I, I think, actually, it took us a long time to find the right format for a show, in all seriousness. Like, we, we, we fumbled for many years trying to find what was the right layers to add to what we naturally do, what we're good at, and... What's the best way to put our friendship on display? And uh, when we came up with the Jokers, uh, that all finally came together. And so we keep saying we. We keep talking about the Jokers. I have just one
0: Joker here with me. But there are three others, of course. Joe Gatto, Brian Quinn, and Sal Vacano. Yep. And how much, I mean, and be real here. How much do you care about
2: these guys as as just people and people in your life? I can take them or leave them. <laughs> <laughs> No, they're my best friends. You know, we, we love each other, we hate each other, everything that best friends do. You know, I've known her for 26 years at this point. Uh, we're going to die together. Yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, that's too
0: long. That's yeah. too long. I might need to find some new people. The first season of Impractical Jokers, how, how nervous were you guys throughout that season to, making sure, to make sure that you guys were putting out a product that not only was good, but could be renewed?
2: Uh, well, let's see. I remember when we fought, shot the uh, pilot episode, we really didn't know where the show was, honestly. And uh, when we were in Costco filming in the pilot, that was the, the first challenge we did that was like a refuse you lose, where you had a, we had a packet of lines, and we were telling each other what to do, and then you could refuse to do it. And when we did that challenge, after we finished filming that day, I remember saying to the guys, like we were all hanging out, we were like, that could be it, Like that, that was so good, like that feeding each other the lines and, and through the IFB and no other challenge in the pilot had the IFB element. Uh, the IFB is uh, what you wear in earpiece, you wear in your ear. Um, we, we all were like that, that was, could be it. And, uh, and the network correctly identified that as the core of the show. Like it's, uh, telling each other, forcing each other to do things. And then will you do it or will you not do it? Um, one good thing the network did in season one was they really pushed us hard to, uh, making this as much of a family-friendly show as possible. We never imagined when we created the show that this would be a family co-viewing show at all. And it quickly became that. So, like, at our live shows that we do, we have, like, three generations of a family who are there to see us live. The grandmother, the parents, and the kids, you know? Which is really mind-blowing. How um, hard is it to find that balance, though, of material to be so, I guess, to be so vast throughout the generations? I don't think it's as hard as it seems. Uh, it's... We like to, I'll tell you one of our tricks that we do. We will purposely uh, say something really extreme uh, and force the guy on set to do it simply to get his reaction, you know, or a crazy thing, and just to entertain us, to, keep, to, to satisfy that itch in us, and then we won't use it in the edit, you know. So we, we, we get to do it, but then we, we <laughs> use the material that's a little bit nicer for our family to watch, and, uh, and we're all happy as a result. I can go home and sleep at night. Right, uh, I right. don't think it's that hard because our comedy is fairly mainstream anyway. You know, we don't go too dark, or um, I think we balance each other really well. Our personalities balance comedically really well. Mm. And so I'm sure people out there are probably wondering
0: why in the world am I actually sitting next to this man? Why? Why was I let into the room? But it's because of Alan Ginter baseball. That's right. And you have a card. It's right there. Of Alan Ginter of baseball. Desk. He's pointing see to the top of, the baseball? of his desk. Yes, That's I it. see it. Friend. And, and it, as it should be. And what was that like seeing yourself on a on a trading card for the first time?
2: Well, gosh, I wish it was a better photo. <laughs> It's a picture of me skydiving like a bitch. I'm screaming. My mouth is open. I look like a ferret with wings.
0: Well, let me tell you one thing. I will make sure that if you ever... Have another card again.
2: It will be you looking your Sunday best. Yes, I want to be in a tuxedo on Mount Everest <laughs> or something. Something like, whoa! Not only is on Mount Everest, but he climbed it in a tuxedo? That guy's badass. Yeah, he's That's like what bond. I want. That's He's what I the want. Bond of the Joker. Okay, but for now, I'll stick with this. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you how it feels. It's incredible. I, I mean, you know, I can't believe it. That's so cool. My, my uh, brother-in-law, when he found out, my brother-in-law has tens of thousands of baseball cards Mm. literally the entire top floor of my sister's house is full of just millions of them right (laughs) he has so so many collections and he has every Alan Ginter, Alan Ginter collection, and uh, when I told him that we were getting a, uh, our own cards in it, he freaked out even more than I did, you know, and he, we, I, I took him when he was in New York, I took him around the office, uh, the tops office, and he was in heaven, man. Uh, it's cool as hell. I can't believe it. It's awesome. Yeah, and every one of you has a card of the four of you,
0: and I told this to James before I sat down, you are not the highest resold Alan and Ginter and Practical Joker, Instead, that goes to
2: Brian Quinn. What, what are these numbers, first of all? <laughs> to Q, Top's Talk listeners, listen up. He, Q, you, you can. He, the kid looks like he hasn't had a bath in about fourteen years. What gives, man? Come on, yeah. this is crazy. Let me see here. We're looking it up as we speak. This is cutting edge. This so is, Q is on sale this on is a, a site that plate. sells. This is a printing place. Seventy-five bucks. Gonna be 75 bucks. Are you kidding me? Go to go to Mur. I want to see what Murr sells for. It's oh, that's that's $29. $29? However, this however, interview 60, is over
0: $60 for the framed mini auto.
2: Who gives a about the frame? You can buy a frame at Staples. Q out of all four of us, Sal. I'll give you maybe okay. Joe. Will be like, oh, Joe's crazy, he's crazy, but Q. Yeah, I love him. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You able, really, you really to, got yourself. Too bad we don't see any of this money. <laughs> yeah, right? eBay see, see, here we go,
0: though. See, that was... But, but again, now, but you didn't really let me finish. You kind of yeah. just went off. I'm sorry. It's I reacted. Okay. You did react. I reacted. His framed autograph... See, that was a printing plate, what we saw. Yeah. That was an auto-printing plate. Yeah. His framed autograph is 50 bucks. So you Still beat old. him on the... Fr- so, so you beat him on the... On no, the, the frame beat him. Okay? That's, that's my, fair. My pure signature that's fair. did not beat him.
2: That's fair. Okay. Look, I'm trying to be
0: nice here. Can I,
2: uh, can I tell you a fun story? That's why I'm so here. So when we, uh, in the pilot episode of Impractical Jokers, there was a, uh, they did a focus group, which networks always do. They do these BS focus groups right. of, so let, let's see how it tests before we <laughs> green light it, right? Okay. Instead of reacting from gut. Yeah, I get it, because they have a lot of money on the line, right? So they focus grouped the pilot episode. And in the pilot, there were four of us, of course. Uh, and then there was a scene in, a, in an elevator. And there was a scene in Costco. And they put those scenes on there, t- They put our names on a list and the scenes that we were in and say, please rank your favorite parts of the pilot. Okay. And they had strangers come in. They'd never, we weren't on the air yet just to rate us. And uh, uh, Sal was ranked number one. Then I was two. Joe was three. Then the audience chose the elevator as four and <laughs> Q as five. <laughs> So the running joke for the whole first season was that if at any, any point the network wanted to fire us, they would just bring in the elevator. The physical <laughs> elevator could swap in instead of Q for all his turns. We, were, we saw the fo- we, I, I don't think That's they meant for us to see the focus group, but we saw it on somebody's desk, and we're like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> wow, that elevator! It was funny. I mean, did, but did but it is, was it is, like
0: is, so fast. That, was I, no,
2: was like the physical box
0: outranked Q. But,
2: <laughs> but he's the charming S O B, and I love him. Today. Yes, there you go.
0: In your in your impractical joker career, was there a was there a prank pulled? Was there a joke pulled that you were just flat out surprised by? Like, the, I mean, you said that all of this is it's off, it's off the cuff, it's it's extemporaneous, it, nothing is written in regards to the reactions, and whatnot. But do you remember one that just sticks out in your mind that you can tell me right now? Uh,
2: I'll tell you the one that surprised me the most was. The Danica McKellar uh, Winnie Cooper punishment. Uh, if you haven't seen that, that's amazing. If you haven't seen it, here's what happened. The guys told me to go to a hotel in Midtown, and I walk into this giant conference center, and uh, there's half a dozen bodybuilders that are ripped, right? Working out. There's fitness equipment everywhere. They set up fake tables with people selling. Uh, workout merchandise, you know, all sorts of powders and stuff like that to work out. And they, uh, in the room, they piped in the sounds through the speaker system of a fake competition going on in the next room. Wow. So I'm like, hold, hold, there's, there's, a, there's a bodybuilding competition. And he said, the joke is, I've got to strip naked and put on a little thong. They're going to grease my entire body up my hairy, gross body, and, uh, and I have to go in there with these guys that are eight times my size and compete and flex and do all the moves, and they said in the next conference room, there's about 100 people, judges, go up there on the stage, and we're going to, you know, flex. So I had no reason to believe that wouldn't, that, that alone is a great punishment. Right, right. I, like, people who are watching that probably are saying, oh, gee, like, this, this by itself would be damaging psychologically. Yes, if that was the punishment, <laughs> it would have been one of our best, Right. So I go into the next room. Again, I'm hearing all the sounds in the hallway of, of, of the competition. I open the door, and there's no competition. It is like a dimly lit, uh, one-on-one, 2020-style interview. Uh, I'm the, the interviewer, and the person I'm interviewing is my childhood crush, Danica McKellar, Winnie Cooper from The Wonder Years, what the, the great show. Uh, that I grew up with. I mean, between it was her and Alyssa Milano when I grew up. Man, that's it. That was our crushes. Those were our crushes. So I walked in, and she was in a gown. She looked amazing. She looks, you know, just incredible. And, uh, and I was dressed like that. I was glistening with oil, spray tan on. <laughs> uh, my nipples were so, so hard. And, uh, and I had to interview her. And I was, I, I'll tell you what I thought in that moment. I was shocked because I had no idea she knew the show, she was a fan of the show, or that the guys could even get in touch with her. I had no idea how they pulled this off. I I was in shock that she was there. I was in shock at the whole experience. And then I was so proud of my best friends for coming up with... Such an incredible twist, you know what I mean? That I never saw coming, and and to pull that off, they flew her from L.A. to do this thing. She was a great sport about it, and you know, uh, every line she said, I asked her a ton of questions. She had no clue what the questions were. She improvised her answers, and they weren't in her ear telling her what to say. They were in my ear, and she nailed it, man. She was, like, confused. She knew exactly what the show was, which is
0: embarrassing me, you know? And so she completely played along with that, and you didn't just, like, question i mean you you had you posed,
2: yeah, I posed, you posed I, I showed off her. my uh yes my the, the
0: glistening, glistening body my I showed off my glistening boobs, yes, that was um that was something else um uh, if YouTube it if you've not seen it because it's it's worth it's worth your minutes that that's for sure, and is there a joke that you guys pulled that you so desperately wish that made it
2: uh yes. <laughs> We were filming about a year ago in Long Island at a, a, a grocery store. And Sal was behind the counter. And this woman comes up to pay for all her grocery items. She hands him her credit card. So I said to Sal, Sal, very nonchalantly, take out your cell phone and snap a photo of her credit card before you swipe it and put your phone back in your pocket. <laughs> it's just, you know, to be funny to get a reaction out of her. So Sal does it, snaps a photo, swipes her card, hands it back to her. She flips the f out. <laughs> she goes ballistic. Go figure, people don't like when their identity's stolen. Oh uh, yes. She flips out. Starts screaming in the store. How dare you? Give me give me your phone. I'm calls the manager over. She takes out her phone. She calls 911. Cops come 10 minutes later. She's still livid. We try to explain to her as a show. I don't know. I'm going to sue everybody here. She was nuts, right? Oh, my God. Uh, the cops come in, they calm her down, they take her outside. We're like, oh, man, they're going to come in, they're going to tell us to shut down, whatever. We're allowed to be in the store, but still, you know, that's kind of right. next level stuff. They come in after they calm her down, take her out of the store, and they're like, guys, guys, guys. We're like, yeah, what's up? They go, uh, we're huge fans of the show. Could take photos with you. Like, yes. Uh, but we, uh, we don't dare show that footage because we're terrified of the woman. I I wish we could show that. You know what? That's a good move. Now we tell the story, though. Yeah. No, hey,
0: now it's out there. It's out there, and if only, if only. So you guys just had your 100th -hmm. episode. What was that like to get to that 100 mark?
2: It was, I would say, the best moment of my life. Wow. Uh, That might only be surpassed this January. Uh, We are playing Radio City Music Hall on January 30th. Are uh, the rockets showing up? They, they The rockets will have just finished their run. We come in literally a week after they're out. Got it. Uh, that might surpass the 100th episode, maybe. Because as a, a live performer, to do Radio City is... I mean, uh, the only thing comparable is Madison Square Garden, Carnegie Hall. These are iconic yeah. venues, you know? Uh, so that might surpass it. But uh, 100 episodes... Is honestly is unheard of these days, you know. As a a TV exec before Jokers, uh, it's the TV industry has has gotten so hard, so risk averse. Uh, Now shows get canceled within two episodes, three episodes, and the orders for shows are small. Used to have back in the day, they used to order a season would be 26 episodes. Now, then they dropped it to 23, then you dropped it to 13, now they drop it to six. So you have your first run of a series of six episodes.
0: Unless it has NCIS at the front of it. Correct. Then you can do whatever the heck Correct. you want.
2: Or CSI or whatever. Right. Um, but those are legacy franchises, you know. They, they, they've been around a long time and from the days when that was the orders. Now a show gets six or eight episodes or maybe 13 if you're lucky. But So, so to reach 100 episodes in a short time, like we've only done five, uh, you know. Well, we reached 100 episodes in four seasons. So that's really hard. Like, you know, most shows it takes them longer because they get smaller orders. Um, but we do like thirty-one episodes a season now. You know, because we do five specials a season usually. Mm. It was uh, that night was the best night of my life. I, you know, I was surrounded by my best friends. My f- whole family was there, and uh, I got to. The, I was terrified going up to the top of the uh, the high wire. But when I got up there and I looked around and I saw there were, there were five thousand people showed up live to see us that night, and I was like, and I only had. 20 seconds to look around before I had to go uh, because it's live TV and I looked around and I was like man this is I can't believe this I I, I just felt very humbled and blessed and uh, damn that was cool yeah from Staten Island to the high wire Uh, yeah (laughs) truly something special it was cool
0: and so you're, you're obviously continuing on 100 was just a milestone yes moving on and especially this winter and coming up I mean you guys have some really exciting stuff coming up
2: we do. We're doing a, an Impractical Jokers cruise in January. It goes from a Miami to a Cozumel. So it's, it's, are you going to we... leave everybody there? <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's the prank. <laughs> right. The boat don't come back. Right. I, I would
0: not get on that boat thinking that I'm going it's to It's not get, a prank boat. It's,
2: it's, we're performing live. <laughs> a lot of our comedian friends are on the boat performing with us. We have like Lisa Lampanelli, Gilbert Gottfried, wow. uh, Michael Ian Black, all sorts of great performers. Great bands every night performing. The Dan Bend is going to be there. They sing Total Eclipse of the Heart from uh, Old School. Wow. You know? uh, like really, really good bands and comedians we're performing doing a bunch of live uh shows on the boat we're partying with fans for a week it's family friendly and uh it's great it's a vacation it's a norwegian cruise line it's a a huge boat you know fits like four or five thousand people it's gonna be awesome you guys have a big international influence i mean you guys are shown everywhere um, the show is in a lot of countries around the world um it's uh it's the number one show on the UK uh, on Comedy Central in the UK. The number one show on Comedy Central in uh, India, uh, Brazil, Italy. It's all over. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be traveling and to be recognized by uh, uh, non-Americans. You know. And what that shows is
0: that the human element is everywhere, obviously, and and people like watching that because you guys are more than just you know playing pranks and whatnot. You you were watching how humans react to certain things, yeah. and everywhere people like that. You know, embarrassment is always funny, no matter yep. what culture. <laughs> exactly. It's, it, it spans the languages. Um, and so when you mo- look forward, obviously you have, you got the, the tour and then the cruise and, and Radio City. How do you, how can you even look beyond that? But I'm sure that you already have. We have lots of
2: plans. Uh, next year, we're going to shoot the Impractical Jokers movie. Really? That's going to be great. Uh, yeah, I want to do a whole movie franchise now. You know, that, that's the goodness. next step uh, while still shooting the TV show. And then beyond Jokers, uh, uh, the guys and I are working on uh, uh, creating a scripted show uh, with the four of us in it. Um, that we you know, scripted comedy. So that would be uh, beyond Jokers. Uh, you know, when that when that um, hopefully we do it for many many more years though. When you look back at your career, and when
0: when let's say it's all said and done, when you're when you're finished and you're old and gray and whatnot. Where, what, do, what do you wish people say about you when, you're, when you hang up the spikes, as they say in the, the sports
2: world? He lost a lot of hair. <laughs> I think that's what they're probably going to say. They're like, they're going to look at a picture of me from my 20s and be like, oh. And they're going to look at me now and be like, huh. I so think so that's right now it. it's just going to be, huh. That's, that, <laughs> yeah, that's what you so, want when people look I'll, at your Wikipedia page uh, back you, then, I'll in the 20s. I don't 45. know what people will say, and I think it's uh, kind of. All I can do is um, all any of us can do is just do the best we can and, and have fun doing it you know and hopefully uh, uh, we get judged the right way for it but um, so I hope people will love the work that we've done. Um, I think we're having an impact. I will tell you um, instead of looking forward, I look back at things that are happened and, and that gives me great uh, um, it makes me sleep soundly at night. Uh, we went to we were had the opportunity recently to have dinner with our uh, com- comedic idols. Really, uh, we went to dinner with the Zucker brothers, who are the creators of Airplane, The Naked Gun. Wow! I mean, come on, like, like, f- I mean, some of the most incredible comedies of all time, and uh, and they knew the show and they were fans of the show. If only Nielsen was there too. <laughs> right. I know. We <laughs> we, we he heard a lot been. of amazing stories, if though. They, it was oh, pretty I'm cool. Sure,
0: and but that, that must have made
2: such an impact on you guys to to hear our comedy idols. Like and appreciate our work is mind blowing, you know? Because they, I mean, that, 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 they are the, for me personally, I know Joe feels this way a lot too, and all the guys, uh, they are uh, huge, huge uh, idols of ours, and they, they impact our comedy probably more than anything, anybody, other than maybe Mel Brooks. But, um, well, so f- that, that's, that's something that's pretty funny. cool. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, future fans will uh, feel the same way about us. Yeah, and I mean you bring up Mel
0: Brooks. I actually remember. I don't know if you've watched on uh, on online uh, comedians in cars getting coffee with yeah, Jerry sure. Seinfeld. Yeah, he did one with Carl um, Reiner, and he then went over to have dinner with Carl Reiner because Mel Brooks still like hangs out with him all the time. That's awesome. And yeah, they like they eat deli sandwiches and watch Jeopardy. Still, like that's great. Isn't that incredible?
2: What a great that and, would be a great
0: dinner to go to. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so Seinfeld went over there, and. He asked Mel Brooks if he had ever seen him perform live. And Mel Brooks said no. And you should have seen Seinfeld's face. It was like a little kid just got his dog taken away from him. Yeah. Like, cause that's his idol. Like, yeah. that, right there, right in front of him. And he hadn't seen him live at that point. Yeah, I'm sure by this point now he probably has. But, I mean, it, it's like you said, it, there's something special about when you meet someone who has impacted your life so much. Yeah, And so you guys really got that.
2: Yeah, it's pretty damn cool, man. And uh, the top spaceball card is as cool. Yeah, and
0: not only will you have the Impractical Joker's an entire uh, episode book once you're finished, but you'll also have the card to mm-hmm. show what you have done. It's specifically skydiving.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, next card, remember your promise. That's right. Okay. That's right. Sunday, Everest, Sunday tuxedo. Best. Yes. Sunday best, top of Everest. Three words. Everest, tuxedo, murr. Correct. <laughs>
0: <laughs> James Murr Murray. Best of luck for the rest of this season and for all the exciting things coming up. And the best of luck for basically the rest of your career I don't know if I'll ever talk to you again <laughs> come on you're
2: in my house that's I true mean, you, I know where you live you now. asked me to order food I mean you're I really settling where in. is that
0: by the way that See, we ordered dude, that it's like coming man ago. you're really yeah. settling into all my right, place right, all right. well hey, can you blame me I mean the, the view what's why
2: why are you going dude get out of the shower Alex guys he he he's not, he dropped his pants walked straight into the bathroom he's now in the shower dude come on the interview's over
0: When's the hot water turn on? It's, it, give
2: it a minute. The shampoo's on the left. Guys, this is Myrrh coming to you from Tops Talk. Thanks for listening. See you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Tops Talk, and we hope you hear us again soon. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can follow us on Twitter at Tops Talk. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at topstalk at tops.com. Special thanks goes out to Clay Laraski and Leanne Minutoli, Mark Von Olin, Julie Glasser, and James Murray. This has been Episode 10 of Top